Hi, and welcome to the Depot Cast for Thursday, April 23rd, 2020. I looked at a calendar. I'm Mike. <laughs> We've got Mackenzie here. Hi, Mackenzie. Hey, Mike. And we got Mary here. Hi, Mary. Hi, how you doing? I'm all right. We're all talking through Discord again. And uh, this week, we're going to talk about the circus train wreck uh, of 1903. So this is this is a topic that we get talked we get uh, asked about constantly um, at work. But before we get into that, uh, I'm going to do the stuff we normally do at the start of these. So uh, if you have a question, uh, either hit us up on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram as at Duran Station, or you can email us at depotcast at gmail.com. That is d e p o t c a s t at gmail.com. We'll do our best to answer them. Uh, Mary, you want to talk about some good friends of ours? Definitely. Heroes of the week um, are donors. We have, since we've shut down and uh, not had any traffic in in the building, um, donations slide with that kind of thing. We don't have the donation cans accessible. We've received uh, four unsolicited donations from different uh, volunteers and, and supporters of Duran Union Station. And that has been, ex we're extremely grateful to get donations from them. Um, if anybody's interested in giving a donation to us, you can go to our website and to the uh, the store and click on the donate button. But uh, this week I'd, I'd really like to give a huge shout out to those who have donated to us because that will keep, once we can open back up to the public, that will keep the doors open. Yeah, uh, and we have had a lot of extensive conversations about what that means for us when we do get to reopen um, and how we're going to handle that and um, make sure that you're safe and we're safe and everybody's having a good time and back doing what they love. Uh, Definitely so. having a lot of conversations about that. <laughs> um, had the opportunity to sit in on a Zoom meeting with Michigan Museum Association this morning, and it was very interesting because all the museums throughout Michigan are thinking about the same thing and worrying about the same thing as far as how do we open back up to the public and, and make sure everybody's comfortable, um, you know, that they're not going to get sick, so... Yeah. Um, one of the things that you and I discussed the other day was uh, how fortunate we were that we worked on that concert last summer. Yes. Because <laughs> um, we raised a, a good amount of money and that money is coming in handy right now because uh, even though the doors are shut and we've got the, uh, the temperature turned down low, that doesn't mean that there aren't bills that still need to get taken care of. So um, the, yep. money, the money that we were able to raise and that people generously gave us and bought tickets to see Mark Farner and the, the Duran veterans of rock and all that stuff. Um, it is keeping us, it is keeping us going. So yes, definitely. <laughs> thank goodness. Thank goodness for everybody that, that participated and was our friend and helped out and even bought, just bought stuff just came and like, I just want to buy a poster or a t-shirt. Um, that was good. So, um, man, back when we were doing it, that seemed like an awful lot of work and now I kind of miss it. <laughs> it. It was a lot of work and <laughs> it, it's crazy how the world has changed and, and just what it's not even been a year. I mean, that, that concert was in August of 2019. Yeah. So every here week, we are. Every week feels like a decade. It's the it slowest. Does. 
time of my life. I have no idea how we're going to, how we've gotten through it to this point. So, um, all right. So, uh, we're going to jump back in time, uh, 117 years. (laughs) (laughs) The depot wasn't even open yet. The depot, uh, existed. It was a structure, but it wouldn't be open for another month. So this event happened before the opening of Duran Union Station. Um, so before we get into what happened, we're going to talk about sort of the major player here and the Wallace Circus Show. And a lot of the information that we're discussing uh, here is in a is been bound and collected in a book that we sell uh, that Mackenzie's going to talk about here in a little bit. Um, but we're going to talk about the Great Wallace Show. Uh, it was established by Benjamin Wallace in Peru, Indiana, which is kind of between here and Indianapolis. Um, he was a he was a veteran in the Civil War. So after he was discharged from the Union Army, he uh, became a local businessman and established a circus company, the Wallace and Company's Great World Menagerie and an International Circus, opened in Peru on April twenty sixth, eighteen eighty four. Um, they did a couple of regional tours and then uh decided to put the show on the road for real and got a train so in the spring of 1886 the great wallace show left peru on 15 railroad cars and toured the country uh they opened the 1903 season uh with their annual performance in peru their hometown performance was always the first one um and then uh they were intending to uh take eight months of a tour so uh that's man it's a long tour <laughs> april <laughs> april through december uh 188 cities in 16 states was their plan um so by the time they made it to august they had made it up to michigan uh they had just done a show the night prior in charlotte and they were heading to lapeer in uh in uh august uh, august of 1903 um, and that takes us to the night of August 6th, 1903. Uh, and I'm going to read at this point, uh, the report from the Chicago sun times. Uh, so here it goes. This is, so the news was posted on August 7th, two sections of the Wallace brothers circus train crashed together, uh, in the evening at Duran, Michigan on uh, August 6th, killing 23 persons, seriously injuring four and inflicting hurts on 24 others. Defective air brake on the engine of the second train is given as the cause. Um, the circus travels in two trains of about 35 cars each. After last night's show in Charlotte, two trains left for Lapeer over the Grand Trunk. The second uh, was leaving a half an hour after the first. It was 3.45 in the morning when the first section pulled into the west end of the Grand Trunk Yard in Durand. Um, And then a red light was hung on the rear car to stop the second train. Engineer Probst of Battle Creek, who was running the engine of the rear train, says he saw this light and applied the air brake, but to his horror, they refused to work. He then tried to reverse his engine, but the momentum was too great, and the the, uh, second train crashed into the first one. Three cars in the back uh, of the first train telescoped the engine and five cars of the first train were demolished um and then there's a list of the dead which we'll get to and then uh killed while they slept uh at the rear end of the first section was the caboose where the two trainmen uh one working for the grand trunk and one working for the circus company uh were sleeping and they were killed instantly um 
and then followed by that were the cars that had all the animals and the animal handlers in it. Um, of the animals killed, uh, one of the elephants, there were f- five as part of their tour. One died, uh, several camels, uh, all of the other animals were, uh, injured, but got away. Um, is, uh, so side story there, evidently, uh, people were finding circus animals in their yards the next morning oh, <laughs> because no. they had gotten away from the train. Um, imagine waking up in, in 1903 and having a, a monkey sitting on your front porch. <laughs> a zebra just hanging out, eating your flowers. A zebra, yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> man, I had, we had just watered those flowers. Um, <laughs> just munch it on your garden. Yeah. My carrots. Uh, <laughs> uh, so the elephants in the wreck car behaved with surprising calmness and were let out of the wreck without trouble. Uh, the one that was killed was named Maud. Uh, the Maud was an animal that uh, was an elephant that rode on a tricycle. They had trained Maud to ride a tricycle. Um, and then the last little bit here is Wallace Brothers say that their loss will be heavy, but have given no estimate to the size of it yet this is the second wreck that the shows have suffered within a month so apparently uh and this is actually fairly common of trains back then that trains did actually have a lot of wrecks um some of them were catastrophic like this one but um some of them were just like what we would consider fender benders now um signals back then were not what they are now uh and sometimes mistakes happen um or someone forgets to throw a switch so uh that is sort of the crux of what happened there was some sort of a brake failure um we'll get to a little bit of of what happens there after uh, after here in a minute but um second train ran into the first one and the majority of the injury and the death toll were the people who lived in the back and the people who lived in the back of the second train were the train masters and the animals and the animal handlers so um we're going to go through a short list of the people who had died. Um, some of them are buried in Lovejoy Cemetery in Vernon Township, which is... Lovejoy is to the south of Durand, is it not? West. Yeah, southwest. Yeah, um, because if, you don't, if you're not from Durand and you're listening to this, Durand is surrounded by Vernon <laughs> entirely. Vernon it Township. is yep. Vernon Township completely encases... The city of Durand. So when we say Vernon, we have to be very careful about what side of Vernon you're on. Um, the village of Vernon is not the same, not in the same direction. So um, we'll go over the people who are buried in Lovejoy here uh, after this, but I'm going to read off some names. So uh, Andrew Howland, a canvasman. Uh, canvasmen were people who literally put the tent up. That's what their job was. Um, A.W. Large, who was an officer for the Grand Trunk. He would have been in the caboose. Leif Larson, uh, an animal driver. So uh, back then, that would be the guy who was riding the horse or maybe even riding an elephant or something of that nature. Uh, John Leary was the ring stock boss. So the guy who was in charge of all the animals that would be inside the three rings of the circus. James McCarthy was the Grand Trunk train master. W.J. McCoy was another canvasman. And then John Purcell was the boss of the canvasman. Uh, Robert Rice was a harness maker uh, for the animals. Charles Sands was another animal driver. George Smith was a blacksmith. Uh, when you have a lot of animals, you need a lot of blacksmithery done uh, for horseshoes and 
other things that might might work hand in hand with your harness maker, honestly. Uh, Harry St. Clair was the ticket seller. Uh, a fellow by the name of G. Thomas was a standard laborer. Frank Thorpe was the circus train master, so he would have been in the caboose with uh, James McCarthy. Um, and then a bunch of guys who don't necessarily have their roles, like the what they did for the for the for the circus was fairly unknown. Um, William Griffin, uh, Allen, who went by Fatty Johnson, Frank and Charles Kearns, who also had nicknames of Ringling, presumably because they were brothers. Um, Joseph H. Backdoor Red Keys, and then John Animal Red Stillman. So they had two guys with red hair there, and rather than come up with unique uh, nicknames for them, they called them Backdoor Red and Animal Red. So I, I think we could probably guess as to what job John Stillman did as Animal Red. Um, C.R. Manuel, John Thompson, James Toffelmeyer, Joe Wilson and Edward York were the ones that were named. And then there were two that they couldn't identify for various reasons. Um, so those two unidentified men, plus uh, Joe Wilson, John Thompson, C.R. Manuel, John Stillman, Joseph Keyes, Frank and Charles Kearns, Alan Johnson, William Griffin, and Andrew Holland, Howland, are all buried in Lovejoy Cemetery. Um, and one of the things that happened after that wreck was they had a lot of people here that may not necessarily have families because they, you know, the, you know, the, the idiom of leaving to join the circus that that's, that's based in fact, people who either were orphans or had to run away from home or were abandoning some part of their lives for whatever reason, they would literally leave and join a traveling circus and be on the road for eight months of the year. Um, so because there were a lot of these people that initially weren't identified or weren't found or had nobody to claim them, no next to kin, uh, the people of Duran had to put together sort of like a makeshift funeral home for them. And so they used the Hotel Richelieu, uh, which is right down the road from Duran Union, which was right down the road from Duran Union Station, uh, kind of in the same area as the... Uh, YMCA that was being built and some of that stuff and they embalmed these gentlemen and they put them on display in August so people could get to town and try to identify people that they knew um, and based on the number of people that are buried in Lovejoy Cemetery a lot of these people weren't identified or not claimed and were were buried here which is real sad that these people didn't have families to to even collect them um there was a common story that went around that the famous comedian Red Skelton uh, joined, uh, came to Duran to look for his father because he knew his father's nickname was Red and that he had joined the circus. However, that story is not true. Uh, this happened, I think, 20 years before Red Skelton was born <laughs> or 10 years before he was born. Um, and while his father was named Red and did join the circus, his father came home and initially was present in his son's life. Um, and then Red, uh, Red Skelton eventually ended up joining the same circus company that his dad had joined at some point. But um, I think that's probably why people have gotten the stories mixed up. Um, or they just want to ha tell a tall tale about some famous guy coming to Duran because how, how often is Duran International News? It's probably like this. Um, I would say that to this day, the train wreck is probably the 
biggest piece of news that Duran has ever had because reports of it were, were as far as the Los Angeles Times, um, which, by the way, got like every fact wrong. They spelled everything wrong. They they couldn't care less about <laughs> what was going on the entire length of the country away in Michigan. But it was in the New York Times. Uh, I read stuff from the Chicago Sun-Times just now. Um, so for and because the Wallace Brothers show was a big deal, um, they were I think they were the second largest circus company in the country at that time. So I guess that's a huge deal. Yeah, I mean, this is this was community entertainment, you know, as far as having the circus come to town. You didn't get to see that on a regular basis. Right. Um, I think it would be similar to like if a plane that had a professional baseball team crashed in modern times. Right. Like because that's what was entertainment back then traveling shows. And so, um, and then, yeah. And then imagine that train, that plane crashing into a little little town in the middle of Michigan <laughs> it would it, suddenly the spotlight is on you uh, for the world's worst reason um, so uh, before we get into the aftermath of this wreck um, Mackenzie let's talk about the book that we're selling alrighty so for this week we picked our featured item of the week to be the great Wallace show train wreck booklet that we have at our gift shop and you can get this booklet on our online store at duranstation.org. It's $5, and it pretty much talks about a, kind of a summary of the train wreck. Uh, it also includes a lot of uh, excerpts from newspaper articles, photos that we have, uh, we've had on file, um, and is, is probably the most complete full account of what happened th- um, mm-hmm. that we've acquired over the years and have been able to um, put together and bind ourselves. So um, basically all $5 of this goes directly to us because we're the ones that are publishing this booklet and, and selling it and binding it and all that stuff. So um, consider buying it and holding on to it, uh, especially if um, you have family members that were around back then and you want to try to remember some major event in their lives and all that. So um, to put the history in a little bit of context, um at that time, train passenger train travel was the primary um, the primary vehicle to get across the United States. I just pulled up a history of uh, events in 1903. I came across July 23rd, Dr. Ernest Fathen, Fathen of Chicago became the first owner of a model uh, of a Ford Model A vehicle. <laughs> so yeah. that's how people got to, you know, got from one location to another. I was actually talking to uh, um, a, a gentleman this morning about the Ann Arbor Railroad and how it went from Duran to um, Saginaw. And I have family that I've heard stories that that's how they got to Saginaw is they took the train. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, this, this definitely predates, um, this definitely predates the automobile as a widespread means of transportation. Um, 
and especially like in the 1900 the early 1900s uh, I think we've talked about this before these cars were made out of wood <laughs> so yes they were they would yep. just the cabooses were made out of wood yeah mm-hmm. so they were not built to take any sort of impact at all if they and... fell over they would just splinter and, and collapse so imagine getting hit at any sort of speed by a steam locomotive that are heavy and full of water and coal and all that stuff it's just they just exploded um it's a wonder that more people weren't hurt when those things happen it's a wonder that more people weren't hurt any time a train wrecked back then um and that also goes to show you just how like um blasé people were about trains wrecking back then because Mackenzie, you and i have looked in newspaper articles we talked about this with daniel and mallory the the newspaper accounts of train wrecks yeah they they would talk about just the most heinous injury and just carnage with details and it was so gruesome they would not even blink an eye like oh yeah this guy was just cut in half by a train you're like oh my god (laughs) that wouldn't even no one would ever say anything like that anymore in the news um yeah so uh injury and grave injury was really common the railroad back then but that was how you people got around so they were willing to take that risk and um and that's not that's not to say like every train's a death trap or whatever but um, oh not at all it was certainly not as safe as they are today um but Mm -hmm. i think that's usually how progress goes that things get a little less horrifically dangerous by the year so um yeah so after this wreck happened uh there was an immediate discussion and a disagreement about what had happened um the when the investigators showed up to look at it the way that the cars were strewn about implied to them in their educated eyes that the train never slowed down that the second train that hit the first one never stopped at all, never even put its brake on. And when they talked to the engineer about it, who was still alive, he said his air brakes failed, that he had, he saw the stop, he saw the stoplight on the back of the train and hit the air brake and the air brake did not slow down. The air brake failed to failed to engage. So at that point he attempted to throw the train in reverse as the article states. And then it didn't it didn't slow him down and he hit the he hit the first train. But then the um then the investigators looked at the locomotive and they found that the air brakes still worked. That that they were still charged. Um so there was a major dispute over what had happened because now we're talking about liability. Um mm-hmm. and especially w- what happens even further afterward when the lawyers start getting involved. Someone needs to be blamed for this because they need to figure out whose insurance is going to pay what. Um, so they had a big inquest, and they used people from Duran, and they used people from Grand Trunk, and lawyers from all over the place, and ultimately they found that it was true that the engineer failed to stop. However, they gave him the benefit of the doubt, and they said that his air brakes had failed him, and he couldn't stop. So he, had, he did not stop, but he also could not stop, uh, which then made it probably the least satisfying result for anybody uh where it becomes like a no fault sort of thing um and anybody from michigan is well aware of what no fault insurance is like (laughs) not great um so that's kind of what had happened in the aftermath 
Um, so the last little bit of this tale uh, is that the show must go on. So remember, this train wreck happened on August 6th. In August, on August 20th, the Wallace show resumed in Bay City. They were back on the road in 14 days. Um, that's crazy to me. I can't even fathom getting back to it in 14 days, having lost... Especially like, in 1903. Yes, like where did you find 24 more people to work for your right. your circus? Um, mm-hmm. it, it, and so another thing about it is that the elephants, the four remaining elephants, refused to perform without Maud. So even though the My. newspaper article says that they were calm when they were leaving the train, um, I feel like that was a pretty vast misunderstanding to that uh, back then as well about how smart elephants are and how emotionally capable they are. Um, and I feel like today people are a whole lot smarter about elephants in general. Um, and that's a primary reason why circuses don't use them because now they know, uh, in way more depth and detail, how much you're hurting an elephant when you force it to perform, um, that those elephants knew that one of their own had died and was missing and they refused to participate any further. Um, so they had to do, they had to reconfigure their entire circus to not include that part of the act because it wasn't just the elephants that were part of that act. There was a horse that would also push the elephant around and then a great Dane that would push the horse around. Like all of that part of the show just vanished. Um, but yeah, they were back on the road in 20 in, in 14 days. Um, and that's kind of the story of the circus train wreck. Uh, it's, it's a pretty major event in Duran history. Uh, and what do you guys think about it? I know I did the majority of the talking again. Well, um, we have a full display in the museum that's dedicated to it. And like you said at the beginning, we get a lot of uh, people that come into the building asking specific questions about that. Uh, We do get, so one question we get a lot, and I don't know if Mackenzie's gotten it yet, but I get it all the time is where is the elephant buried? Yes. <laughs> yes, yes, we um, do get that plot. They buried it where it fell uh, because elephants are huge. Uh, so what they did, and this is gruesome, and there's a photo of it. I'm glad that it's in black and white. Uh, they had to skin that elephant because they needed its hide for proof of insurance that it had died. Um, evidently, uh, less less trustworthy circus promoters in the past had just claimed their elephant had died and then collected the money and then not actually lost the elephant. Um, mm-hmm. So insurance companies started requiring proof of the death of the animal. Um, so they had to skin Maud. And what I understand is that um, that skin became a stuffed elephant and it was put on display somewhere for a while. Um, I might be conflating that with, I know Tufts University in New York had an elephant for a while. And it might have been Maud, but it might have also been one of the Ringling Brothers. I don't remember. But um, so they buried the elephant right there along the side of the rail, out in the rail yard, which is still Grand Trunk or not Grand Trunk, Canadian National Property. Um, So no one has ever been able to get close enough to where they think the elephant might be to investigate Um, because it's still an active rail yard. So they're not going to let you over there. Um, My my physical anthropology professor at college at U of M. Uh, when she found out I was from Duran, she she's a bones lady. She's uh, someone who 
has studied animal bones and human bones and things of that nature. She's like, is there any way I could get that elephant? And I was like, I doubt it. (laughs) (laughs) No one even knows where it is. Like we have an idea, but it's not, it's not the sort of thing that they'll just let people go out there and check. Even if you're claiming that you're doing it for like an academic pursuit, they're going to be like, get out of here. So, um, and a hundred years ago, you got to know that it's not that deep. Yeah. But, but they could have put rail over top of it by now. Like that yard has always been active. So who knows what they've done with it? Um, they may have dug it up and said, well, Oh, weird. There's a bunch of bones here. Let's just get rid of those. Um, (laughs) that's how they found a mammoth. Did you know that, that Margaret Zadunik, who is the namesake of our, of our archive, um, they found a mammoth. (laughs) It's on display. Personally. Yeah. At the university of Michigan. Now Uh, it was in the Owasso area. Uh, they dug it up and she was part of the crew that helped to get it to U of M and they, it's been on display there. This is why this topic, the conversation of the circus wreck is one of my favorite because every single time you have it, there's always like a, you find out something new about it. Yeah. Yeah. Margaret led a really fascinating life herself and like one small chapter of it was found a mammoth. (laughs) (laughs) And it, um, as I and I think it was like the first intact mammoth skeleton. I'm not. I don't know if I'm remembering that right. I might. I might actually get an email in our account about that because someone might actually know more about it and correct me. But and I would. I would love that. I would love for someone to share a little bit more. But yeah, they found a mammoth. Um. Yeah, uh, that's a big question we get about the circus wreck a lot. Where is the elephant? Um. So we we don't know, but we kind of know. Uh, which is never a good answer. They hate that. They they want to know where it is. Exactly. Mm-hmm. I, I think they expect us to dig it up and then put it on display. Um, which, like, buddy, if I had the ability to do that, <laughs> I could find a patch of grass out somewhere to put an elephant in. I would do it. But, um, yeah, that's a big that's a big question we get on a daily basis about that. Um, it's a, it's a major topic of conversation. It's I would say it's probably the number one thing that people come into the museum for. Honestly, mm-hmm. is is information about the circus wreck. And we get a lot of kids who come in. It seems like it's a topic that comes up in every like when history teachers or elementary school teachers talk about local history. It mm-hmm. seems like that's a story that's stuck in people's minds because we do get a lot of kids that come in and want information on it. Um, I would guess that's why this little booklet was made in the first place that we had something that we could give to kids. Um, yeah, uh, that's, that's sort of the story. Um, I feel like we've probably shot our biggest cannon because (laughs) like, okay, we've told the story of the depot and we've told the story of the grand trunk and we we're getting to the story of the Ann Arbor. We haven't gotten there yet, but, um, and now we've talked about the circus wreck. So we're get, like getting all the big topics out of the way first. Um, but yeah, there's more to come though. Yeah. Um, and as we talk there's about it, stories to be told around here. Absolutely. Um, as we talk about stuff behind the scenes, we get more ideas um, yeah. about what we want to talk about next and different weird ideas for podcasting. And um, at the end of the day, this is a means for us to entertain ourselves. <laughs> and if, <laughs> the public gets entertainment out of it. That's extra good. But um, it's to keep us from going stir crazy because there's only so much 
social media that you can stare at before you just get bummed out and you don't want to do it anymore and you have to do something else. And the podcast is that something else for all of us. Um, Because remember at the beginning of this, we weren't including Mary. Like she was just sort of this isolated segment toward the end. And I was like, that's not very fair to you, Mary, to to make you just this four minute chunk of it. I definitely miss the banter in the office. That's for sure. And this has replaced that. It's, it's been nice to have those brainstorming sessions. Um, what I, yeah, what I want to get across to anybody who's listening is this is basically how we interact at work. If they think, if they think, Oh, a museum, these are really stodgy professional talking people. You are a hundred percent wrong in our museum. (laughs) We are, (laughs) I wouldn't say unprofessional, but we are, we are very loose. Um, and I wouldn't have it any other way because if, if I had to wake up every day and go to work and call everybody, sir and madam and wear a suit, I used to wear a suit to work. And then I figured out that was no one cares at my job. Not so, necessary. Not necessary. I, I've <laughs> bought up, I've bought up every shirt that has Duran Union station on it and that's become my uniform. Um, oh. yeah, like that's, that's why this job has been fun. Uh, is being able to just sort of be silly and goofy and joke around and say, Hey, Mackenzie, did you know about this? And then you're like, no. And I'm like, no, totally. Let me check. Let me tell you this thing. Um, (laughs) That happens a lot at work too. That like, Oh yeah, absolutely. I tell you some, we get our best ideas that way. Weird minutia about Durant history because and it's extra fun with Mackenzie. And that's why I wanted you part of this podcast from the beginning, because you're not from Durant. Um, yeah, I'm not. I love learning about all the just different stuff that everyone else at work already knows and everything. So yeah, anytime, anytime I can get you to go, no way. Like, hey, Mackenzie, did you know there was an elephant buried out here in the yard? And you're like, no way. Yes, totally. <laughs> um, that's that's why it's fun. So um, this is actually a relatively short podcast for us. We're only going to get to about 35 minutes. This is the size that we actually want the podcast to be. <laughs> this is what we shoot for every week. <laughs> and then we get to, I look at the timer and it's like, oh, 54 minutes. I'm like, ah, oh, man, again. So we achieved our goal this week. Yeah. Um, so we're not sure what we're going to talk about next week. Uh, we'll throw some ideas around. We've got a couple of ideas still left in the tank to, to get to. Um, and we have an email address. Why don't you yeah. uh, give out the email address? And if anybody has uh, a topic that they want to hear about, yeah, throw um, it out to us. It's depotcast, D-E-P-O-T-C-A-S-T at gmail.com. Or if you just yell at us on Facebook, we'll get it. <laughs> we'll see it. So, <laughs> Because one of the things that all three of us do all day now is we just refresh Facebook and see if anybody says anything to us. Uh, so... You know how on Facebook it tells you whether or not a certain business or whatever uh, is good at replying? We've been crushing that as of late because we have nothing better <laughs> to do than we sit there and we're right on top of it. So um, if you're making masks, thank you. Uh, remember to keep bringing them to the depot Monday, Wednesday, Friday, uh, noon to four. Uh, they are being distributed. Uh, in fact, Mary, you were telling me something pretty great yesterday that... Um, we're now we're starting to look for individuals who need masks as opposed to structures, right? Yep. We are getting to that point. Um, today we shipped out, uh, drove out over 200 masks into the Shiawassee County community. Uh, one of the big areas that we wanted to touch on first, of course, were, um, senior living homes to make sure that they had, um, something that they could put over their face and, and hopefully 
uh, stay away from the the virus that's out there. Well, but yeah. um, and that's pretty close are, to home for us too, isn't it? But, yeah, very close to home. Yeah, we're uh, getting to the point where we've got those places pretty much covered, and uh, we're now expanding the. Oops, sorry about that. Phone's ringing. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how to turn it on. Oh, I thought you were going to answer it. That would be extra funny. I'm leaving. <laughs> no. the, I'm leaving this in. Great. Because I don't know how to edit it. I can't just turn it off. <laughs> one thing oh my that, gosh. <laughs> one thing that we miss about actually being at work is that we answer the phones really fast. Normally. We do. We're pretty we good do. at that. Um, so now that we've got a, um, a good portion of the senior homes covered, uh, we're going to be expanding that focus so that um, more people in Shiawassee County have masks available to them and can wear them. Yeah. Um, so if you keep making them and uh, we're actually going to start a second location for drop off at the YMCA in Owasso. Oh, good. Uh, they've offered to, let me see if I can find the dates. Um, they've offered to be a drop-off location for people in the Owasso area that are sewing handmade masks. Um, at the YMCA, you can drop them off Tuesday and Thursday from 10 a.m. to 1 p.m. in Owasso at the YMCA. That's awesome. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so those, those partnerships that we're building is are definitely a good thing um weird times lead to weird friendships but they're friendships all the same and i'm glad that we have them um so if you have a mask wear your mask don't don't be that guy put your mask on i know it fogs your glasses up it fogs mine up too wear your mask wash your hands i mean i don't know why i have to keep telling people this wash your hands you're oh. you're, you're an adult wash your hands so Wear your mask, wash your hands, don't cough in people's faces, cough into your own elbow if you need to, and stay safe out there, and we will see you next week. So thanks for listening, and we'll catch you around.